0: I probably spent like 10 years just thinking in meditation. And what happens for most people is they, and this is not just about meditation. I think this is just in general with any sort of transformational tool. Most people are like, it doesn't work. It's not for me. And it's because when you hear like, oh, this guy became a billionaire, that didn't just happen. It was like overnight, like he learned to meditate and then became a billionaire, right? That's why it's not an infomercial. It's like, A lot of work that gets done that over a long period of time, if you stick with it. Joe Polish is the founder of Genius Network and Genius X, president of Piranha Marketing, creator of the Genius Network interview series, and co-founder of 10xtalk.com. Joe's marketing expertise has been utilized to build thousands of businesses and has generated hundreds of millions of dollars for his clients ranging from large corporations to small family owned businesses. He's known for his entrepreneurial focus on value, creation, connection, and contribution. Joe's leadership is the reason he's one of the most sought after marketers alive today. Joe's mission is to help change the global conversation surrounding addiction and addicts from one of judgment to one of compassion. Joe's a dear friend. I've been a member of Genius Network for a long time. We're in strategic coach together. I've attended Abundance 360 and uh, collaborated on uh, projects, including uh, Genius Recovery. and. Um, I'm just a huge fan. He's a wonderful human. He's been a kind friend and a huge supporter to so many people. So this is a, a great conversation. It was a thrill to have Joe in Columbus at Gravity uh, to host the Genius Network community in the Gravity community. was really uh, very exciting for me personally. So hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: Welcome to Gravity, Brett Kaufman's place. So. Brett Kaufman is a renowned entrepreneur, investor, author, and host of the Gravity podcast. With extensive experience and knowledge in the world of real estate, Brett developed the largest conscious community in the world. Driven by the bigger questions in life, Brett is dedicated to personal development and transformational work that allows us to live more freedom in life, both mentally and physically. He's passionate about how we relate our life experiences to create Uh, in service to others. Ultimately, Brett's work aims to reduce the suffering of others by advancing the conversation on community, physical and emotional space, personal transformation techniques and tools, and expanding the reach of these practices to a wider population. Brett has spoken at the Assemblage, uh, Google Startup Grind, and other networking groups and conferences around the country and been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Hospitality Design, Yahoo Finance, Forbes Prevention, Fast Company, Columbus CEO, entrepreneur and business insider. Brett is the founder and CEO of Kaufman Development, a real estate development firm rooted in its mission and belief that creating communities of high design built around the well-being, expression and impact can change the world. He's also the creator of gravity, where we're at right now greenhouse, inner space, and co-creator of a new investment platform dedicated to elevating companies who are dedicated to benefiting humanity. Brett also is the host of the Gravity Podcast, where he sits down with entrepreneurs, artists, community, and thought leaders. Each episode digs into the guest's journey through childhood, discovering how they arrived to where they are today. You can listen wherever you find your podcast or visit thegravitypodcast.com. So I give it up with great pleasure, my friend and awesome human, Brad Kaufman. So where we're sitting right now, explain sort of the vision uh, about this. Then we'll get into your story, but I'd like to at least, uh, because we're sitting in this building here right now gravity and it is the largest conscious community. So I'd like you to explain what does that actually mean and what's the purpose behind this?
0: Yeah, uh, it's hard to, to kind of answer that question without giving the full story, but. Um, well, give the full story first. Right, we'll, we'll get into it. You know, the, the answer to your question is when I started my company, Kaufman Development, it was based in the idea that I really wanted to build communities. Yes. Yeah, so I started my company, Kaufman Development, after working in real estate and finance and being quite miserable uh, doing both. And I wanted to build a, a company. And communities where people could actually love where they lived and where they worked and have easy access to the things that they were passionate about. I had found in my own life that that was difficult to find ways to volunteer. It was, you know, a lot of bureaucratic red tape to find people that were like-minded. I didn't know about groups like this. Um, you know, where I could find people that, you know, I could connect with and collaborate with and and learn from. And just the importance of the energy of being together with other people in a community was something that I was really longing for. And so we started building communities that would allow for people to do that. And it's expanded and expanded and, until eventually, you know, we landed on Gravity, which um, is sort of the... Uh, the full expression
1: of that concept. Yeah, so human loneliness is now one of the biggest problems in the world. And even a lot of entrepreneurs when surveyed, the ones that tell the truth, that's one of the biggest challenges that people have as entrepreneurs is just simply being lonely. And the the driven sort of typical viewed type A, Entrepreneur, uh, they can be surrounded by tremendous amounts of people, but feel a sense of of, of loneliness. So even being around others uh, is one thing, but feeling aligned and connected is another. And and we've had numerous conversations about addiction. You know, mm-hmm. the whole line: the opposite of addiction is is connection. And so you've been a huge supporter of Genius Recovery. So thank you very much for that, my foundation. How would you view community and connection? What is the link, and how do you deepen it uh, for the people that become your residents, people that become your clients?
0: Yeah, you know, we use big words. So, you know, world's largest conscious community sounds pretty aspirational and, you know, maybe big. But what we've tried to do is just meet people where they are and do things that are tiny attempts at getting them to shift. Just giving people all kinds of ways to find themselves and to find people that they can connect with. So it's not this like big, deep psychedelic journey. It's not this big exploration of self. We we do some of that. And personally, you know, I'm an advocate for that kind of work too, but not everybody wants to do that. A lot of people are just, you know, want to put their toe in their water. And so there's a lot of various events, things like this that are constantly happening, opportunities for people just to find a way in to shift. And hopefully in doing that, they're meeting other people, they're connecting, they're feeling more themselves, more comfortable, more alive, more willing to
1: express themselves. And, you know, that's the journey. So I've got a list of questions here to keep more so myself on track. Yeah. So your work has a strong focus on personal development and transformational work. How has your dedication to these aspects influenced your entrepreneurial journey, and how do you see it shaping the future of real estate and community development? So if you want to talk about what was the initial seed and the driver that, you know, it's always interesting when talking to a group of entrepreneurs like you know, our friend Dan Sullivan says, "Make it up and make it real." Mm-hmm. Right? You're sitting around at some point. This just didn't appear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of work that mm-hmm. has gone into uh, everyone. You know, everyone that's here with us today, uh, whatever they they do in 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 the journey. Some certain seeds were planted. Some obstacles and adversities you face in your life, and then you've you know, this is the byproduct of a a, a lot of work and resourcefulness and aspiration and drive. So speak to some of that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. Yeah. So it's sort of a a tough uh, subject because my father is very ill at the moment. And I think about him when I answer this question, because really what's happened in my life is I grew up with a father who was an addict that sent me into my own path of struggle and addiction and suffering and exploring and trying to find myself, you know, really, I, you know, when I think about it, it's like, yes, there has been a ton of hard work, lots of hard work. None of this happens without really working very, very hard and working hard both professionally and personally. And as I sit here, it sort of feels like I don't even know how it happened. Like, I don't think I had much to do with it at all. Um, that it feels very much a part of something much larger than me, you know, higher power, uh, call it what you want. So, you know, one thing I'm sure of is that what I have found to be most beneficial in my work is to integrate the personal work and then express it professionally. This is the thing that I'm kind of most passionate about is how do we do our own work? So that we can then express ourselves in a way that is of service to other people, i mean you 're the perfect example of that you know you 've done so much for so many people, and it 's because you 've done that work with yourself so that you can offer it to other people yeah. and so you know that 's really been my path to to this work. The more that I can continue to um, step into myself into my highest self into my Full expression of who I am. It's amazing what opens up. You know, you uh, meet amazing people that you connect with, that then collaborate with you, and and do, you know, all kinds of things that you really could never imagine doing.
1: Yeah. yeah. How do you deal with, or how have you deal with it? When I, and I say this, difficult people, difficult situations, and both of us now openly talking about having a history of of addiction, that was one of the ways I used to deal with stuff. And and the distinction I like to make is when my life is not working, it's when I'm reacting to things. When my life is working, it's when I'm responding to things. And I respond now way more than I used to. Uh, I still react, uh, but I don't react continuously, because when I'm in constant reaction, then I look for ways to self-medicate with any sort of state change. Uh, that has negative consequences, behaviors, things like that. So, mm-hmm. how have you found uh, dealing with the difficult situations? Because I think any sort of success is in building and creating something, and it's interesting, you said, you know it is kind of is channeled. is mm-hmm. is this sort of happened along the path. It was something greater that came into it. What can you speak to mm-hmm. in terms of how you have today found some of the most effective ways to deal with difficulties? Because I think, success in anything has as much to do with not doing the right things but how to navigate the shit how to navigate the difficulties how to navigate the challenges because there's all kinds of potholes and people and obstacles that are in the way and i'd love to uh, because i don't think what you've created is in any way shape or form easy to do most people could not do what you've put together here without having a lot of resources resourcefulness and the ability to navigate the challenges. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I can't say that I've always had that ability. I think I've been fortunate from a very young age. When my my parents were getting divorced, I was eight years old and my mom took us to a therapist. I came out saying, "Um, that was amazing. When can I do that again? And so I've really just my whole life been somebody that gravitates to doing self-help. I was listening to Wayne Dyer books on tape when I was in high school. And so the answer really is you don't wait until you're in a crisis. You don't wait until you realize you're suffering to start doing the work. You you do it every day and, and you have to do it so that when the inevitable shit hits the fan, you're in better shape the shit hits the fan for me all the time. Like you, you know, you have urges, you have struggles, you want to do shit you're not supposed to do. It's not good for you. You know that. And so I have really developed incredible routines and structure in my life that I now like can't live without. And it's a lot of simple, basic stuff. But, you know, I can uh, really give it a lot of credit it's it's incredible in fact i was listening to tim Ferriss this morning on uh, rituals podcast he was talking about physical fitness as a, a way to step into therapy and, you know if you're not interested in therapy then exercise for me i, I kind of have to do it all i've traded what do you say it's um better better worst habits or something yeah right so you know i have a lot of my my addictions have shifted into a lot of good things, like physical fitness, like meditation, like, you know, journaling. Yeah. On and on.
1: Yeah. All right. So James Clear lives here, Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've had him on your podcast yeah. and he talks a lot about identity. And I think so much of where we want to go has a lot to do with uh, our identity, how we perceive ourselves. There was most of my adult life, I didn't have a favorable opinion of myself most of the time. I had slices of feeling okay, but then you know I I had to really work through a lot of you know shame, a lot of identity that was instilled in me mm-hmm. as a kid, and the whole imposter syndrome and all of the different things that people will vocally talk about and all of the things they don't talk about, which were as sick as our secrets, mm-hmm. and that that line has really helped me with really working to make sure whenever. There's this dark cloud that I have people around me that I can speak to to help me get myself out of weather conditions that I can't seem to see. So it's always good to have a sounding board. I think of Genius Network is just a sounding board when it comes to entrepreneurial stuff. Uh, I also carry that, though, into many areas of, of my life. So. How has your identity uh, changed over the years in terms of, because I think if you keep wanting to use the word consciousness, you know, increase your level of consciousness. This is not just things you do. This is how you really see who you actually are and what you stand for and in and, and your values and how do you live them out in your character and all that. So I'd like to hear your views on that.
0: Uh Yeah. It's funny. One of the things that I do as a part of my morning routine is I review what I call my whip, which is my worldview, my identity, and my purpose. So I have it written down and every year I'll rinse it. And mostly it's a word here or a tweak there at this point. But I look at that every day and, you know, who am I and and who do I want to make sure that I'm being? And you know, I think I've been able to get pretty clear about that. And mostly what it means to me, my identity is, this is sort of a, you know, woo woo way to look at it, but it's just, it's just love. At the end of the day, you know, I believe we're just all one and all of this is sort of bullshit. You know, we're kind of making it up. It's not that important really, but what does matter is how do you treat, another person? How do you engage with somebody? How do you help them and connect with them and share with them and share yourself? I get a little hesitant sometimes to talk too much about myself because I think you see a lot of people out there, you know, one-upping each other with their traumas and their, you know, ayahuasca journeys and everybody's got my shamans better than yours, you know, all this bullshit really. It's not about that. That's just... Uh, the ego moving over into some sort of spiritual realm. And so, you know, I'm hesitant to sometimes talk about it, but I've also learned that part of who I am is to share myself with other people in the hopes that it's helpful to others. And I do think that as you and others have shared with me and really made a big difference in my life, I hope that's who I can show up as for other people.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So... Let's talk about some of the entrepreneurial How do you translate caring about others into actually having a profitable enterprise? Because you need to negotiate, you need to work with the city, you need to do all kinds of stuff to do the things that you're doing. You have to sell, you have to market, you have to position yourself. You have to, you know, hire teams and and delegate and and lead and all of this sort of stuff. So I'd love for you to speak to some of the smartest things that you have done when it comes to, because when you said earlier, it just sort of happened. Well, that means you didn't, you, you, you enrolled a lot of people yeah. and you don't strike me as a, uh, what's the terminology, you know, uh command and control versus, uh, what's Stephen R. Covey's newest book called Trust and Inspire. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole trust and inspire leadership and command and control. And, you know, for me, um, like wartime versus peacetime that Ben Horowitz article written over a decade ago, there are times in the world where, you know, there's peacetime and there's wartime and there's different strategies that we have to deal with depending on the challenges and difficulties. So I, you know, I'm not one of these people that's like, it's oh, it's always kumbaya and just be sweet. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to get off your ass and deal with some heavy stuff. Other times, you know, things are good. And then there's fair weather friends and where people are, you know, being nice and sweet and wonderful when everything's going well. But then when you're in a real desperate, difficult challenge, you know, people change. And then you really know who has your back and who doesn't. So I just want to go back to like, you know give some entrepreneurial strategies that have served you well cuz everyone here and most people listening that's the world they live in they 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 only survive if they produce a result mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean i'm not formally trained as an entrepreneur i didn't even know that i was an entrepreneur until i started my own business and became one now in reality I always have been. I started stringing tennis rackets when I was 13 years old and bought a machine and had a business Um, and, you know, a ton of other examples like that along the way. I just didn't identify as an entrepreneur, maybe, you know, in part because I was a horrible student and couldn't pay attention, you know, disassociating and all the things from childhood. So I didn't identify as smart. And so I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I never saw myself as having skills in that way. And so, you know, that's why I say, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of this just been made up. And the truth is I've had to learn how to become the kind of leader I want to be. And mostly everything I've done has come from doing that inner work, including how I've become a successful entrepreneur. And so when I first started my business I was sort of a yeller and screamer and yelling at contractors and making a big stink when things weren't going well cuz that's who I was but I have I've learned uh, that's not who I am it's not who I want to be and so I've yeah had amazing people that have really helped I keep coming back to this theme of you know your life serving you and so there's a lot, of the, a lot of stuff that I took on as a kid that actually did serve me really well at that time, right? right? So this idea that, you know, was instilled in me that you needed to be successful, that you needed to work hard, that you needed to be a, a man, make money, have a good reputation. There was like a lot of noise around that. Actually, it didn't serve me well for a period of time. I used that energy to create. And to build a business and to be successful and to make money and do all those things. I had to realize after having them that that wasn't really uh, as important as I thought it was. And, you know, I'll tell you that, that the, I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, that the skill that I think has been most helpful for us that might be helpful for people in the room is we have tried to make sure with everything that we've done from the start and and everything from a cor- from a culture standpoint, from a real estate standpoint, that we would push the envelope, but not so much that we wouldn't live to do it again. And so it was constantly like, how do we push this as far as we possibly can, but get a bank to sign off on it, to get investors to to invest in it, to return capital and make everybody money so that we could do it again and push a little bit further the next time. And so that has been the one entrepreneurial, you know, mindset that I think we've focused on is, is a lot of people come out, they want to change the world. You see these, you know, utopian projects that are being announced in Costa Rica and all kinds of stuff that just never gets built. You know, we're building things we've built, you know, here. Just in this neighborhood, it's 12 acres. There's almost 2,000 people living here. It's 500,000 square feet of commercial and retail space. You know, it, We're building things that are actually coming to life, hopefully making a difference so that we can do the next one even better.
1: So I mean, how uh, in the next 10 years, what do you envision yourself building or creating or at least being a catalyst for?
0: Yeah, I think my interest is shifted less uh, in the physical realm and more in the, you know, what we call the inner space. So, you know, I'm, uh, that's why I've kind of shifted to the podcast. I'm writing a book, you know, Nick's here filming a documentary um, and, you know, investing in other people the the real estate will be the real estate and you know it's going to continue to live on you know what we're hoping to do is take gravity in our new greenhouse concept and scale them across the country and so that's our long-term plan me personally you know my unique ability at this point is really investing connecting co-creating and um, less you know in the day-to-day nuts and bolts of the real estate Um you get to a point, you know, you can only make the building so sexy. Okay. Um, you keep trying. You, you want it to be, you know, something that people really feel good about. But at the end of the day, it's a lot more satisfying for me to actually try to help other people directly. Yeah. Uh,
1: what does Gravity stand for in the context here? Why did you name it that?
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was a, a name that was gifted to me. By a friend who many of you know, Christopher Celeste, who um, I was connecting with on a project. We, he, he had an idea, a white paper that he was calling Gravity. And I had this idea about building a community. And his white paper was about connecting and belonging. And you know, we're just good friends. And he's an investor. And at one point, he used, we used to argue about the importance of words and names. I never valued them. I never really thought it mattered. I thought you could name something Google, and it was really a matter of you know what was underneath it that, that mattered. And he he's, comes from a marketing background and you know, just had a strong belief in, in words mattering and names mattering. And so, um, yeah, he, he gave me gravity. And it's become something that I never expected. And it's shifting into all kinds of things that neither of us ever imagined. Right.
1: So everyone here, uh, for the most part, has to create a culture and they have to create meaning. They have to sell that meaning to others. They have to enroll people into it, or uh, there's a lot of challenges. So the, the whole concept of culture, which I have done quite a few interviews with people on on the subject of culture, uh, some that have built you know billion-dollar companies, and culture is kind of funny because you know, the first four letters are cult, right? So everything though has a bit of a culture to it, so does this place. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what, what are sort of the under the surface things that are happening that most people would not know about that go through your head, that with your leadership team or whatever you call the people mm-hmm. that help you do this, uh, how do you think about it all?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. The cult thing is funny. I think about Chip Wilson, right? You know, when we first started our company, we had everybody, it was optional, but um, you kind of encouraged to go to Landmark Forum. I know Chip also, and, you know, that becomes your culture. And people sometimes think it's a cult. But, you know, for us, you know, I think that we like to say we hire on uh, passion, skill, effort. And so everybody that... Is in our culture, shares a passion for what we're doing and works hard and is skilled at what they do. And, you know, for me, you know, again, uh, no, not an expert in culture, but I think we have a really great culture at Coffin Development at Gravity, and it's because of the people. At the end of the day, if you have people that are here because of a shared vision and shared values, that is your culture. And so, you know, hopefully what you see here, you know, we say gravity is about well-being, creative expression, and impact. Greenhouse is about well-being, nature, and transformation. And so every person that's in this community that works for us, at least, for sure, has to embody that. And that's, you know, what's coming out and hopefully what people are are feeling and seeing and experiencing. And, you know, again, for some people, we're just an apartment. You know, they just right. think it's cool. They like the art, and you know, they don't know or care about any of that, and that's fine too. We like to think that that person eventually stumbles into somebody or something, and you know, we have a transcendental meditation center here, and you know, maybe somebody comes to an introduction, and who knows where their life goes from there.
1: That, that's so you have people certifying people are training TM here. Yeah,
0: we have an instructor who time that's that's what he does he's been comes from the TM center and has you know made his whole life in that world and yeah he's here um and does introductions and teaching and tune-ups or whatever they call it right. you know and uh yeah he's awesome and uh that's you know available for anybody
1: wow that's yeah. cool it, well, the reason I bring that up, I, I got trained in TM in 2013 in Fairfield, uh, Iowa, where the Maharishi University is and everything. And I could never meditate my entire life until I actually went through the TM training. So, and, and if I would have downloaded every app on the planet, I still would have never until that. So that's, that's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. Does anyone here do TM? You even know what we're talking about here? Oh, okay. Yeah. A handful. Yeah. About five or six people. Cool. All right. Well, you're going to sign up after this. So let's talk about investments because that's one of your main things you're an investor okay so you've got uh, Kaufman development you have a new platform uh, dedicated to elevating companies that benefit humanity and so my question is what criteria do you use to identify such companies and what role do you believe conscious investing plays in shaping a more um, you know socially responsible and sustainable uh, future? yeah speak about how you think about investments. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think about investments for better or worse because it's been a learning curve for me. You know, I think a lot of people who invest think that because they're successful in one thing, they're going to be successful in another. And you know, I probably fell in that category. You know, so I've had my fair share of um, losses, but I love to invest in other people because it's much easier to multiply your impact, at least potentially by doing it on the backs of other people that are willing to do good and hard work there's only so much you can do yourself and so you know it's a way for me to kind of multiply the impact and i use like a very stupid simple filter which is sort of just my own it's not i mean i'm i'm investing privately so i don't have to account for other investors it's not like we have a fund where everybody's You've got to buy in on returns. I've, I've tried that and found that that takes the fun out of it for me. I want to be able to just put money into something and not really be too worried about the return. So my filter is like, is this good for humanity? Whatever it is. And it could be a food, could be a beverage, it could be a real estate, it could be a anything, anything, technology. Like at the end of the day, because this exists, are people better off? And so that's that's my filter. I want to invest in people that I believe share vision and values that really actually give a shit about creating something that's gonna actually make a difference in other people's lives. I generally believe that should be for profit because I think that's the only way that I've seen where you can attract the best talent, where you can get the smartest people to go out and create things that solve problems for other people. That's why I like investing. You know, we do a lot of nonprofit work as well. Um, But, you know, generally I've found that the for-profit world is the best way to
1: actually solve real-world problems. When you have, I'm I'm really asking this for almost everything I ask is for myself. You know, that's the, I, I say this a lot. You know, a lot of my male friends that have not been willing to do deep therapy or deal with some of their issues, what many of them do is they just start a podcast And then, uh, you know, they just ask people questions. They get smart people. Everyone thinks they know their shit and they don't realize that, you know, behind the Instagram following everything else, there's this deep narcissism that requires attention and stuff to anyway. So, uh, when you have like some of your investments or things you've put together require dozens, you know, many dozens, hundreds of people in order to get stuff done. And, my interest is like when things start going sideways or you're involved in something that there's millions of dollars uh, on the line and shit starts going sideways, what are some indicators? Because, mm. and I'll, I'll ask in this way, when, when I had the most pain in my life, uh, I not only ignored red flags, I didn't even notice the yellow flags mm. when it came to people. And so now I don't just look for red flags, I look for yellow flags before they turn into red flags, right? Mm-hmm. And so when things be, start becoming extremely difficult, what are some indicators or things that your spidey senses have developed over the years that would be really good to share with people to that have helped either get you out of trouble? And, and I say this knowing that Most of the things we've learned is because we're in the pot of hell. Mm -hmm. And then we had to figure out like, what do we do now? Right. How do we get through this? So I'd be curious to see what, you know, how you guide and direct the ship that's going in the the wrong direction or start sinking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, first of all, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, when you say that you ask this, you know, for yourself and the podcast thing, I might be like an extreme narcissist and just not willing to (laughs) admit it, but. Everything that I've ever created has been because I saw that there was something that I wanted myself in the world. And so I just created it. And I've always told myself at least that if I wanted it, so did other people. And I found that to be true. So I don't think that it's actually narcissistic. You ask questions like that because you're probably not the only person that's curious about it. So anyways, from an investment standpoint, um, one of the other things that I've done, and again, like none of this is, you know, I kind of keep emphasizing, I'm not technically trained as an investor. I think that works to my benefit. I think if you look at the venture capitalists who have this fixed mindset of driving valuation and all this shit that, you know, it's not working right now. I'm glad that I don't have the Silicon Valley training. Um, I come at it from a a way that feels very aligned with who I am. And so one of the things that I've done, and I've had to learn this, is I never put too much money into any one thing because I want to be able to, A, tell the founder the truth about what I think they should be doing regardless of whether that means I'm going to lose money. Um, I want to be able to not care if it's... Getting fucked up. Um, I don't want to be upset by it. It really defeats the purpose for me. That's I have to go in there knowing that there's a good chance the money is going to go away. Now, I mean, you know, one one thing I've learned the hard way is whenever a founder does like a a bridge round, say no, (laughs) Uh, because that usually means that they're you know running out of money and they don't have another round and you know you're getting into super risky territory i've had to learn that the hard way i've also had to learn that people will disappoint you they will be dishonest with you they will do things in desperate times that are are pretty disappointing and that's part of it too you know you just have to know that you're dealing with flawed individuals who are going to you know do things that you wish they wouldn't do but again you know you try to mitigate that by you know just limiting your exposure
1: all right well let me ask you some a uh, personal thing so your dedication to exploring uh, personal transformation techniques and tools is intriguing uh, can you share an example of a particular technique or tool that has had a profound impact on your life and how it influenced your approach to business and community development i mean you've you've kind of shared a little bit about a couple of things, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I talked about, um, TM that's probably been the most consistent and, and probably like, you know, net net over time, the most impactful, uh, modality in my life. I learned transcendental meditation when I was, I gave it to myself as a gift when I graduated college, when I was about a sophomore junior in college, I literally stumbled upon a poster piece of paper you know like the old like pull the tag thing right on a um, telephone pole on campus and it just caught my attention and i went to the introduction and it was like five hundred dollars to learn and i thought you know that's crazy Mm -hmm. i'm not paying five hundred dollars for a word and then i um (laughs) graduated from college and i couldn't let go of it. And I went back and, you know, gave myself that gift. Um, So meditating has been, you know, a huge part of my life for a very long time. Therapy, talk therapy, you know, today I like a lot of people are um, loving cold plunge and physical fitness and saunas and all the biohacking stuff. That's super fun just to kind of go down that rabbit hole and, and I and I love it podcasts and journaling and gratitude and you know all the all the modalities. You know, I I will say um this has come up a few times. I've had a lot of personal success with psychedelic assisted therapy. You and I have talked a lot about that. I've also personally seen it go terribly wrong. And so you know it's like yes and there's a lot of bad actors out there. And it's very dangerous and should not be done, in my opinion, without professional, like truly professional facilitation. So I'm a big fan of that, you know, Rick Rick Doblin and others are mutual friends and I'm an investor and supporter of, of that, but mostly. Um, from the uh, legal standpoint, I, I want these medicines because that's really what they are—to be legalized and then properly facilitated. But that's been a huge, uh, consistent. Actually, you know, I I started taking psychedelics when I was in high school as like a reckless act, and then I had a lot of really traumatizing bad experiences. But at the end of the day, it shifted me, and coming back to that as an adult. And doing it in a proper setting um, has really been very healing.
1: Awesome. Now, I'll speak to a couple of things there, because how do you not when you you just start talking about psychedelics? So how many people here have taken psychedelics in the last 24 hours? Oh, I, I, yeah, I like this. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny how quickly the hands went up, though. But, yeah, you know, I will will share with you, because... it's you know I was I'm the first person in the world you know this to have before and after brain scans and doing uh, ibogaine and five meo DMT and I took a film crew with me to Mexico and that was in 2015 and we also did serotonin and dopamine blood tests to see how it would you know affect my biochemistry and everything and I you know did interviews you know with Eamon, who did the brain scans before and after you know our, our friend you know Dan. Engel, who's the top psychiatrist in the world who uses uh, psychedelics and plant medicines for depression, anxiety, PTSD, et cetera. But I never put that information out there yet because I didn't want people to tag me as like, oh, it's, you know, you're just this pro-psychedelic plant medicine person because you're right. There's a lot of dangerous people that are out there uh, calling themselves shaman and different things that really have no business taking people through these really I mean, you're going on a psychic roller coaster, uh, oftentimes, and done right, it is massively opening, uh, and and can be incredibly profound. And I've seen many people that have, you know, healed from things, or at least put on the path of healing that nothing else they've ever done has ever worked. So I'm a, a big supporter, and mostly the, the legalities and how how it's done. It's it's not just the the medicine; it is everything wrapped around that. And with TM. I introduced uh, the author David Box. Some of you are friends with David. He, um, to Bob Roth, who runs the David Lynch Foundation. He's a, you know, he's a really brilliant, smart, you know, TM trainer for many years.
0: Bob's coming uh, in September.
1: Bob's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, awesome dude. And I'd introduced, you know, David to him years ago. And David said that has been the single most valuable thing he's ever learned in his entire life to get trained in TM. And then, um, uh Ray Dalio, uh I was at TED probably five years ago and I went up to Ray and you know I knew he did TM and and I started talking with him and he told me that there's that TM has been the single biggest contributor to him becoming a billionaire of anything is his and he's been meditating for over 40 years. Uh So they give you a mantra, things like, this is not a TM commercial, just sharing both of us because we both uh, do it. Uh, It sounds like a commercial, but this is not a paid endorsement. Uh, I don't think they sponsor people. They should, they should now have (laughs) TM. No, John Haglund, who's the, uh, you know, uh, CEO, he actually uh, spoke at our 2013 uh, Genius Network annual event that we did in New York. So I've actually tried to introduce people to TM over the years. Uh, So yeah, if you need a therapist, now's the time. Make that call. Okay.
0: <laughs> Let me just say one thing about that. Yeah, you know, because um, we're both up here pimping TM. It doesn't really, in my experience, and and you know, I've learned not to put my experience in other people because some people like learn, they drop in, they're like, wow, it's you know, transformational. You know, for me, it was like I probably spent like ten years just thinking in meditation. And, you know, what happens for most people is they, and this is not just about meditation. I think this is just in general with any sort of transformational tool. Most people are like, it doesn't work. It's not for me. And it's because when you hear like, oh, this guy became a billionaire, that didn't just happen. That was like overnight, like he learned to meditate and then became a billionaire, right? That's why it's not an infomercial. It's like, a lot of work that gets done that over a long period of time if you stick with it you're probably going to have some clarity that helps you do things that might make you some money you know and so that that's kind of how i look at all this stuff you know therapy it's you go in there expecting that it's just going to be like fix me no i mean this is a life's work mm-hmm.
1: And you know the 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 thing too. We have a new Genius Network member, uh, uh, Dr. Doug Brackman. He wrote the book Driven, and he talks about the uh, the hunter and the farmer. You know the 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 driven entrepreneur, which is most people that are in this room are hunters, and they have the D two D four gene, and it's a genetic mutation that causes the you know the behavior of the the driven entrepreneur. And he he takes people out and has them shoot rifles doing eye open meditation because a lot of People they close their eyes. They can. They they just do not feel comfortable. It is extraordinarily hard for them to meditate. Uh, so he's come up with other ways. And I've not ever done his meditation. I actually want to go try it because uh, the people that have been there have told me it's like amazing. So it's just so fascinating to me. Bottom line is there's many different ways to get uh, to to that you know place of of connection and what works for you. And and by hearing other people share it is is important because just learning what others do and seeing if that works for you. So I'm gonna ask you two more questions and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap. Um, so as a multi-talented entrepreneur, author and host, how do you prioritize and manage your time effectively to excel in each area? And what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs seeking to balance multiple roles and passions successfully?
0: Yeah, I, you know, when I first started in strategic coach, I couldn't get my mind around how people had like multiple businesses. It was so foreign to me because I was so buried in my work that I couldn't imagine doing anything. So, you know, systems really help. And so the time management system was a major game changer for me. Learning what it meant to have a free day. You know, I use that system every day and... Progress not perfection, right there's a lot of um I know Ben's here, and you know I'm a big fan of Ben's work, but you know who not how and unique ability, building a team, and you know when you realize you know Dan says like know, like you charge your car before you drive it, right you don't wait till the battery's dead to charge your car and and you know when you realize that these things that you're doing outside of your work are really fueling you, it's really giving you the energy you need so that you can be productive. You can't be without it. So you know I've had to learn that, and I have a great system in place where you know I don't do anything before ten o'clock, wrap by three or four. Mondays and Fridays are free days. Sometimes I cheat, and that's okay. There's a definition of balance that I've really adopted which is um, not that everything's going to be perfectly, you know, siloed into this, you know, magical equation. It's just that you can't stay out of balance in one direction for too long. So when I was building my business, I was working really hard, but I had to come back and really make sure I was being the father and husband that I wanted to be. And so you go in waves and you know you just have to kind of check yourself and make sure that you realize that you're not spending too much time in in one place, And it's fascinating to me because we're doing more now than we've ever done as a company. the The amount of production that's happening in all these areas is at least 10x what it was five years ago, and I'm working less. And I never really understood how people could say those kinds of things, but that's what's happened after years and years of building systems and hiring good people and letting go
1: and just, you know, honoring yourself. Yeah. Awesome. You know, one of the best time management, if you want to call it that, cause it's really energy management and, you know, different terms for it was to deal with my addictions, because <laughs> when I was, you know, it's it's funny, if if you struggle with addictions or have struggled with addiction or have family members, it, it requires an enormous amount of resourcefulness to live a really good double life and be a functional addict. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people that are addicts are, are interesting from the standpoint is if you are, I, I first off view addiction as a solution to pain. It's not a, The drugs and the behavior are the solutions. They're actually not the problems. They're solutions that have a lot of problems attached to them. Uh, but if you want to feel good, you will figure out what you need to do in order to get that fixed. And so if you could take the, you know, 10% of the amount of time that you put towards your addiction into your recovery, your life isn't gonna be a lot better. And if you take that same sort of analogy to people that are not addicts and just when you really intently. And intention is important, and commitment is important. really, want and desire something you you will resource yourself in tremendous ways. So you've been openly spoken about addiction, as have I. That's actually the most important thing for me. All of the business stuff that I do and all the things I do are really just a a vehicle to help with the things that I want to do with uh, with addiction recovery. and it's not because I'm some philanthropic angel. It actually helps me a lot in my own recovery to be open about it. And we're now at a place where there's more addiction in the world than ever before in human history. And there's more people talking about it. Even, you know, RFK who's running for president. You know, he's been in uh, recovery for over 40 years. He was a heroin addict you know, when his father was assassinated from the age of 14 to 28, he still goes to nine meetings uh, a week, even while he's running for president. Now, it's fascinating, right? And so, this is now being uh, spoken about publicly quite a bit, and I think there's a big opportunity because both me and you have an objective to to help people that suffer with addiction because we know what that feels like, and it's incredibly, it, it is real human suffering. So, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, recovery and any anything you'd like to speak to? Because there's always, I, I believe that a lot of people that go to seminars and a lot of people that listen to podcasts, a lot of people that are seeking help, they're not doing it in a the therapeutic way or going to 12-step meetings. A lot of them are struggling with addiction. They just don't know that's it. And so they're looking for other ways to just simply try to bigger you know some people just want to aspire to achieve goals other people want to get out of the traps and i think one of those biggest traps is is addiction so i'd like to have speak to any to, to whatever level you want
0: yeah i mean look you know it's played a role in my life personally and even today you know it's been a great teacher for me i've learned so much about how addiction impacts your life and and those around you maybe, you know, more than anything. And I think it's slippery because we're in these entrepreneurial groups. And I see a lot of people that are addicts in socially acceptable ways. And I think that needs to be looked at a little bit more. It's easy when you're on heroin, you know, whatever, you know, to say, obviously, oh, you know, you need help. But I think you have to really be honest about, you know, how much time you're spending at work and how much time you're on the road and how much time you're looking at your phone and how, in my case, my addictions have shifted, you know, the whole whack-a-mole thing. You know, they're much healthier today than they were. Today, it's like sugar and my phone, social media, you know, email, um, but I'm aware of them. And, you know, I think that we probably need to be looking at that a little bit more. You know, what is it that we're doing that is still addiction? It's just easily hidden or, you know, more socially acceptable or even honored. You know, you talked about, you know, the narcissism and the people with the podcast and all that. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's really happening underneath the constant, a sharing of of your best self you know who are you really and so i don't know i mean i could go on and on about you know the subject for a long time at the end of the day you know it's it's not even so much about recovery and addiction for me it's really about like you said that those are just like what happens it's really about humanity it's about suffering it's about a shared struggle journey to try to heal and just you know, live, thrive. And so that's my passion, whether you're an addict or not, if you're struggling, if you're, if you're on this journey and it's hard, how can I just show up for somebody and try to be helpful? And, and that might include foundations like yours. It might include just having coffee with somebody. It might include any number of things.
1: So, So what I'll wrap up with is, so you have children, you have a family, you have a lot of people that work for you, with you. What do you want to be remembered for? Which is usually, I would almost say like, you know, I've, I've gone to a few funerals kind of avoid them, but you know, they happen. And, um, the, you see a lot of people that will get up and say wonderful things about people and I, it always reminds me to make sure I say these things to the people while they're still alive, you know, how much I care about them, not when they're gone. And both my parents are, have passed away. And so if your kids were watching and you're no longer here, what would you want them to, to know about you? And people, what do you want to be remembered for? That's one thing. And I'm not saying that more of mm-hmm. trying to be a little bit funnier. Uh, seriously though, what do you want to be remembered for when you're not here? And what do you want to, what, what do you want people to know you for now? Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then how people find out about you. So, mm-hmm. tell don't, don't let everyone here that's listening, how do you learn more about you and your podcast and anything else you yeah. want, want to share, or if you need help with anything that you'd say, Hey, love to have everyone take a look at this.
0: Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I honestly don't really think about, you know, what I want people to think of me or say, you know, about me at some point. Um,
1: I think... But, but yeah. this is just a test to see if he was a narcissist. I actually don't think... <laughs> um, <laughs> good, I passed.
0: Um, I'll tell my therapist He said so. <laughs> um, you know, I think... Just sitting here thinking about it, you know, I I hope people experience me as kind, as caring, as loving, and that goes, you know, for my kids and family and friends and strangers. I just got back, actually, I guess it's Wednesday night. I've lost track. I was in Africa for two weeks and, you know, just having dinner with a, you know, local and, you know, just treating people like we're all the same because we are, you know, when I say none of this shit matters, like I believe that I really think it's all kind of made up. Like, I don't know if we want to go like simulation discussion, but like at the end of the day, I don't really care to be known for building buildings or having made money or like, you know, whatever people call success. I don't, I don't care at all about that. You know, I hope that, you know, what I'm thought of and known for is just like being a kind human, you know, who's flawed and sharing the journey with everybody else and, you know, trying to figure it out and help one another. That's it.
1: Yeah, Thank you. And is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. And if, if uh, so, some of you are my friends that are here from Columbus. And I don't know if I missed anything this morning, but so part of the reason I wanted you here is because this is an amazing group of people. Um, there's just a small portion of them here today, but whether you're in marketing, there's a lot of marketing people in genius network. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Joe, Joe is a phenomenal human being. And I have personally turned to Joe for help. And he is one of these guys. And maybe actually, I've learned this from people like you. I hope other people will someday say this about me. The the amount of people that Joe is helping, who nobody knows, is phenomenal. You know, that people have your cell and they call you and you're not doing it for any other reason than to actually help people. And most people will never know about it. And so, um, yeah, this is a phenomenal human. Those of you that know him know that. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, I don't think there's anything more, you know, what I could use help with is we're trying to grow our following um, with podcasts. The podcast is really intended to uh, show this full human journey. You know, a lot of times I think people skip over the journey and they just want to talk about what you're doing and and how successful you are or, you know, what book you're launching or whatever. And I I prefer to really show the full path and kind of normalize the human experience so that you can see yourself and the guest. And so yeah, you know, subscribe, share, listen if you have ideas for great guests, love that finishing my book. So I'll probably be leaning on you for uh, some support there. I should be done and out later this year. And where's, where's this, thank you, where's the central hub for people to follow you? What's the best? Um, sure. So my personal website is brett kaufmancom gravityproject.com. You can find me, Brett Kaufman on all the socials.
1: And so, uh, you're an awesome human also thank you and thank you for, uh, inviting us into the space. This is, we don't do many genius network meetings outside of the genius network headquarters in Arizona. And, and it, it was great to put this together very quickly. And you were just in Africa and came back to do this too. So there was definitely some navigation. So thank you my to your team, team yeah. my team for putting this together and, uh, red call.
0: Thank you for listening to the gravity podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram, at thegravitypodcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.